Good morning, Faith Church. My name is Courtney Ferdin, and I'm the Family Life Pastor here. You can also call me Marv, apparently. Uh, <laughs> so as you can see, we are going to have a little bit of fun this Christmas season. Uh, over the next several weeks, we are going to be working through uh, some of your favorite Christmas movies and kind of tying that into the Bible. So you'll see different characters every week, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so this week, obviously, if you were in here for the announcements, uh, it's no no mystery as to what one I'm going to be talking about. The all-time best Christmas movie ever, Die Hard, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just trying to start a fight right off the bat here. Uh, no, in all seriousness, I was actually uh, pulling out my Christmas stuff just this last week, and I had, was, had it all out, and I was trying to find a movie to, to play, and had my daughter, who's seven, with me, and she actually stopped and asked me. She's like, Mom, what's your favorite Christmas movie? And I was like, oh, huh. First thought truly was Die Hard, uh, but felt like I couldn't tell her that. Uh, so I was, she was like, let's watch that together. Mm, no. Uh, so then I was thinking about it, and I was like, I don't know if it, I'd say it actually is my absolute favorite, but one of the movies that truly is, for me, a movie that like, represents Christmas is here, is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So if you can picture that, like the actual old, like the 1966 version of the movie, uh, the sound, the voiceover with the person starting reading the book, that whole thing, and especially whenever it would come on TV, that was kind of for me like the Christmas is finally here. So today we're going to talk a little bit using the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas. Uh, we're going to kind of tie that into Jesus and a little bit of the gospel, and you're going to just kind of be on a journey today. Uh, so here we go. I'm going to start by reading to you a little bit of the book. And I know most of you know the story. I'm sure probably everybody knows the story. So hopefully you're not missing some pieces here. But we're going to all pretend like we're back in elementary school and we are lining up and we're going to library. And then the librarian's going to read to you. So that's what's happening. If you want to come sit up here, you can. I'm just kidding. I mean, you could, I guess. But here we go. How the Grinch Stole Christmas by Random House, New York, in case you were wondering. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of, north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his toes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever his reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's, staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every Who down in Whoville beneath was busy now hanging a mistletoe wreath. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with sneer, Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers, nervously drumming, I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. Now you guys know the rest of the story, right? The Grinch then goes down to Whoville, and he starts just taking all of their Christmas stuff when they're all asleep. All the Who's are sleeping, and he just starts taking the stockings and all the things, the candy canes, shoves them all into his sleigh, and poor little Max, his little dog with the one little antler, has to carry the whole sleigh. And then he waits, and then Christmas morning comes, and he's up on his hill by his cave, and he's waiting to hear the sounds of sorrow coming from the Who's. 
And what does he hear instead? Singing. Happy singing, right? The who's wake up and they realize their stuff's all gone, but instead of sitting in the sorrow, they gather together and they circle up and they sing. And then the Grinch has a change of heart. He has, it says that his heart grew three sizes and he ends up going down, returning all this stuff and actually ends in joining the who's and becomes a part of their community at the end of the story. So today we're going to talk a little bit of how does the Grinch Stole Christmas kind of intertwine somewhat with the Bible and Jesus. And so what I want to do is, this is a sermon that I will tell you, for a lot of you, if you grew up in the church at all, uh, it's not going to be anything like brand new or mind-blowing, but I think it is an excellent reminder for us, especially given the holiday season. What I want to talk to you today is about the transforming power of love. The transforming power of love. And what I want to start off with is uh, looking in the book of John. Now, my family, every Christmas, uh, we start off, before we can open presents, uh, it was torture as a child, uh, we would have to sit around and uh, open the Bible. My grandma started this tradition. We would read from the book of Luke, the Christmas story. And it was, it was a thing, and it's a tradition, and I do love the fact that it's tradition. But as I've gotten older, one of my favorite, actually, things every Christmas is to go back to the book of John. And his is not like a normal Christmas story. It's not about the Jesus and the shepherds and all that stuff. But John opens his book of the Bible, his gospel, telling us about how Jesus came to earth. But here's how John writes it. He starts in John chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then jumping down to verse 14, it says, So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. What John's saying here is saying the Word is Jesus. That Jesus was with God in the very beginning, back before the earth was even created. Jesus was there with God. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus was God. But then in verse 14, it talks about how he came down to earth to become human to live with us. And I love that phrase that John uses that says that he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Because the Bible is full of God's pursuit of his people. When we go back to Genesis when Adam and Eve first sinned and there was separation between them and God, the rest of the Bible is just packed full of, we can see God trying to restore that relationship. Because of his love for us, for his people, it's this constant pursuit of us. And then we see here in John with the presence and the showing up of Jesus coming to earth that there's some fulfillment of that happening where Jesus came to fulfill that promise that God was going to restore that relationship with us in his unfailing love. There was a completion and pursuit for us that came with Jesus stepping foot on earth. Now today, I want to jump ahead a little bit, though. I'm going to go a little more unconventional, not that teaching from the Grinch is unconventional enough already, uh, but we're going to jump ahead, uh, and I know it's Christmas season, but I actually want to jump ahead about 30 years in the life of Jesus, uh, where Jesus has done his full ministry. He's healed people. He's taught people. People know all about him. They know who he is, and we're going to jump ahead to the night Jesus was arrested, and so on that night, Jesus is with his 12 disciples. His 12 closest people are with him. And they go up to an upper room, and they are celebrating a feast called the Passover feast, which is like one of the biggest feasts for the Jewish people. 
And so they're gathering together, and as far as the disciples are aware, this is just another Passover day for them. There's nothing crazy about it. It's just they're going to go have a Passover dinner with Jesus. And so they go into the upper room, and this is how I kind of picture it, is they're going up the stairs, and they walk in, and Jesus is standing there. And he might even be sitting, but he's at the doorway. And here's the thing. Jesus then tells them to please take off their sandals, and he starts washing their feet. Now, here's a confession uh, for me. Uh, I hate feet, guys. Like, hate feet. Uh, I kind of get this image of this story, and it makes me want to gag. Like, I'm just like, okay. So, so picture this, and it's like they had sandals. Birkenstocks is essentially in my brain. Uh, And they've been walking around all the time in the dirt, in the rain, in the nasty. And here they walk in, and Jesus, their leader, is right there. And there's 12 of them. It's not like one or two. There's 12. Can you picture that water? All right. Ah. Anyway, uh, yeah, I had a moment. uh, This is off the cuff a little bit. Uh, uh, About a year and a half ago, I love our staff. I truly love our staff for the most part. Uh, But (laughs) no, I really do. Uh, It was like a year and a half ago or so. I'd been on staff for a year and a half. And we were sitting around uh, at a staff meeting. And it was just over in the Connection Center over there. And something came up about feet, and I can't remember how it escalated. And next thing I knew, I was sitting kind of back by, kind of sitting back, and I'm kind of doing one of these. And, like, tears start streaming down my face because I'm, like, holding in so badly the fact that I hate this discussion. Like, this is so gross. And finally, somebody looks at me and goes, hmm guys, Courtney's crying. And I'm like, oh no. And they're like, what is going on? Like, why are you crying? And I don't cry. And, and I was like, because I've held this secret in for a year and a half, because you guys will mock me relentlessly for it. And they have. Uh, but it's a real thing for me when I think about fee and just whatever. So that's a whole sidetrack, but here we go. So back to uh, Jesus and the disciples. Jesus bends down and he's washing their feet. And it's not a pleasant thing. That was my point in all of that. It's not a pleasant experience, (laughs) all right? And so he's washing their feet, and finally Peter walks in. And I love Peter. Peter is one of Jesus's, like, top three, like, closest friends of the group. So he has the 12 disciples, and then he has Peter, James, and John, or kind of like his inner circle. And so Peter walks in, and Peter's that guy who is like, okay, we're all thinking it, but Peter's going to say it. Like that friend, that guy in the group. And so Peter walks in, and he sees Jesus, who's going to wash his feet. And Peter's like, oh no, over my dead body. Like, you are not washing my feet, Jesus. That is not your job. And Jesus basically tells Peter, he's like, stop it. Like, I'm showing you and modeling for you, like, servant leadership. So I will do this for you. So then Peter kind of is like, oh, okay, like wash my whole body then, like typical Peter. So anyway, they, they do that. Jesus starts off by servant leadership, washing their feet. They then go and they have their meal. During their meal, Jesus starts to talk, and he says something along the lines of, tonight some, one of you is going to betray me. At that point, Judas the Iscariot, one of his 12, stands up and leaves. So if you can imagine of the 11 that are left, things are a little weird at this point. Started off weird by Jesus washing their feet. Now they're like, Jesus is talking in like some code. Like we don't understand what's happening. Somebody's going to betray him. Why did Judas just walk out of the room? What's going on? And so this is where I want to pick up though. Jesus then is looking at his 11 disciples around the table, if you can picture that. And in chapter 13 of the book of John, here's what he says to them. 
He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I'll leave that up there for just a second. If you see right off the bat, it says a new command. What's interesting is loving each other is not new. The 11 disciples knew that. They'd been taught that time and time again. Even earlier, a year or so, we don't know the timeline for sure, Pharisees had brought a question to Jesus, trying to trip him up, saying, hey, what's the most important of the Ten Commandments? And they said, and Jesus said, I'm going to sum it up for you. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love each other as yourself. This command to love each other is not new. So why is Jesus, in this moment, some of his last words before he dies, why does he choose to say, I have a new command for you. Love each other. Weird, right? Like, that stood out to me as I was even here. I was like, what is that about? And then when you kept reading, can we put that verse back up? A new command, love one another as I have loved you. That's the new piece. He's saying, not only do you love each other, you need to love each other as I have loved you. As Jesus loves, that's how we love. It's an addition to the previous command. So then the question naturally is, how does Jesus love? How did Jesus love? If we are to love like him so people know that we are his disciples, how did Jesus love? Jesus loved by welcoming people, by meeting people where they're at, by healing people, and by seeing people for who they were. I came up with a small list of people that I saw in the Gospels, and you could absolutely do a deeper dive in this on your own, and I would encourage you to. But here's a small list of people that I like, thought through and stood out to me. The first one on the list here is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? If you were in the, raised in the church, you know that song. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was despised by the Jewish community. People couldn't stand him. They hated him. And, Jesus, or, and Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was in town and that he was going to be preaching. And Zacchaeus goes, and he, apparently he was, the Bible says he was short in stature. So he was a shorter guy. He couldn't see over the crowds. So he goes and he climbs a tree. And I picture him kind of hiding out in the, the leaves of the tree. And as Jesus is walking by, he kind of stops and he's like, Zacchaeus, I see you. Come down from this tree. I'm going to your house. We're going to hang out. So Zacchaeus comes down. He invites Jesus over. They have a meal. As a result of that encounter, Zacchaeus has a complete life change. He ends up taking the money that he stole and giving it back to people, and he is finally accepted in the community because Jesus saw him. The next one on the list is Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He also was a tax collector. So talk about somebody else who had a major life change as well. He got to be one of the 12 with Jesus. What an incredible experience for him. Another one I thought of was the adulterous woman. This is a story where the Pharisees, again, the Jewish leaders, are trying to trap Jesus. And so they find this lady who was caught in adultery, and they bring her to Jesus. And they say, hey, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do with her? According to the Bible, she should be stoned to death. And Jesus, without saying anything, makes a line in the sand and says, whoever of you has not sinned, throw the first stone. The Pharisees all turn around and walk away. 
Not one of them could throw the stone. And then Jesus looks at the lady and tells her, now go and sin no more. We don't know exactly what happened, but I guarantee you there was some life change that happened in that encounter for that woman. The next one that I thought of was the woman at the well. We've preached on this one a few times, actually, in the last year. Uh, this was a lady who was a complete outcast from her community. And to the point where she was going to collect water at a well at a random, crazy time of day when nobody was there. And Jesus purposely set up a time and a meeting. He was at that well at that time to have a conversation with this lady. And as a result of her conversation and for him to engage her in where she was at, she ended up going back to the town and telling everybody she knew about Jesus. She became one of the first evangelists because of that encounter. Talk about life change. And then the final one that I thought of is Peter. Good old Peter. Peter ends up later that night from the Passover, as Jesus is arrested, somebody asks him, hey, do you know him? And Peter denies knowing Jesus. One of his closest friends denies knowing Jesus three different times. And yet, after Jesus rises from the dead, he and Peter have another encounter. And Jesus is looking at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. And he asks him three times, the same amount of times that Peter denied him. And then he's like, go feed my sheep. And basically what happens there is Jesus forgives Peter, and Peter becomes one of the key people in the church. Peter is a big reason why we are here today. He was the rock, one of the foundations of the church. Talk about life change. So how did Jesus love? He loved through changing lives. His power, his love was so much that people's lives were changed through their experience with him. Uh, the Passover story was from the book of John. One of Jesus' top three core group guys, Peter, James, and John, that John. John also wrote three books later in the New Testament, three, three letters. And so I want to jump ahead to the book of 1 John, where he talks more about this love. In 1 John 4, 9, it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So what is real love? It's God's love for us. That is real, pure love. That he sent Jesus for us to take away our sins, for our life change, for our transformation. But then John continues in verse 11. And he says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. I'm going to leave that up there again. If we love each other, his love is brought to full expression in us. How do people know who God is? Because of us and our love for those around us our love for each other in this room, our love for people outside these walls. How do we know who God is? Our love for each other. That is how we show our people who God truly is. So the two things that I thought of through this, the first one is that the supernatural love of God is transformational. The supernatural love of God is transformational. 
We see that even in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes a letter and he talks about how when we accept Jesus into our life, the old is gone, the new has come. There is literally like a new life in Jesus. If you are sitting here today and you say, hey, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christ follower, you have experienced that transformation. You have experienced the power of his love and the transformation in your life. So then the next thing that follows for that is when we love like Jesus, lives are changed. When you have that transformation, you now have that power and that love. So then you should love like Jesus. And when we love like Jesus, lives are completely changed. Now, I don't understand how that all happens. I don't understand, like, the love of it, and I, don't, I can't, like, tell you this is this and that is that. But I do know it is something completely supernatural. And I do know as I've dove into Scripture more and more, and especially the Gospels, I've been amazed at how much it all comes back to love. John even talks about how if people will know that who you are, that you're a disciple because of love, and he also talks about obeying commands, if you obey God's commands. But in his book of 1 John, he actually says, this is the command to love each other. Everything goes back to love because that is who Jesus was. He led with love always, and that's how we are supposed to be as well. So I want to go back to the Grinch. I want to wrap this up with the very end of the book. And I know you guys know this, but we're going to go back to library. All right? You with me? So the Grinch has taken all the stuff. He's got it up the mountain, and he's now listening. He's paused, and he's listening for the sounds of sorrow, of sadness, mourning, whatever it may be. And he's excited. So here we go. He's gathering around, and he hears something. And it says, that's a noise, Green the Grinch, that I simply must hear. So he paused, and the Grinch put his hand to his ear, and he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very. He stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch put his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light, and he brought back the toys and the food for the feast, and he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. The end. So that brings me to our so what. What do we do with this? What is happening? Why are we talking about Jesus and the Grinch and then back to Jesus and the Grinch? Uh, how does this all come together? One of the things I love is the image of the people at Whoville. 
all gathered around. And even though the stuff had been taken, their joy had been stripped away, they found their community. And they gathered together around nothing, but still had love and joy in their community. So what? So what does that do for us? What about us today? I think what's so cool about the story of the Grinch is it's a story about life transformation. It's a story about somebody who was angry and alone and upset and how his life was changed by watching a community of love and how the who's at the end of the story, even though he was a complete jerk to them, they still accepted him. They actually welcomed him into their circle, welcomed him into their community, and they allowed him to even carve the roast beast. Talk about love and transformation. So for us as Christians in our community, what are we doing to include people like that? Are we loving in ways that is causing life change for people around us? Are we that representation of Jesus to everyone? To each other in the room and to those not in this room? Are people outside looking at us and going, huh, there's something unique about those people. There's something unique about those Christians and the way they love without judgment. The way they love each other and look out for each other. How do I get in on that? Are there people that are so angry and so upset looking at us and going, huh, I think I might want to actually come down from my lonely mountain and engage that. So as I was thinking through this, there's two things or two challenges that I want to give you today. The first one is this. Remember the transformative power of Jesus' love. If you're ever thinking about like, man, I just don't know if my love's going to do anything. It's not about you. It's not about your love. It's about the love of Jesus in you, the transformative power of the love of Jesus. And then the second thing I want to challenge all of us in is to create, create a community of genuine love and acceptance for people to experience profound transformation. Create a community of genuine love and acceptance for people to experience profound transformation. Are we creating that community as a whole here at Faith Church and just as Christ followers in general? Are we creating that community that is causing life transformation? Now, as I was thinking about this message and the story, I got thinking about my own life a little bit. And I got thinking some about who in my life has shown me the love of Jesus without reason. Who has just like poured into me and showed me the love of Jesus? And the first person I thought of was my grandma. And my grandma passed away of pancreatic cancer about eight years ago. Uh, but she was truly the first person in my life to just love. That was it. She just loved me. I never felt like I wasn't enough. I never felt like I could have done better or I had to do better because of what she put on me or her thoughts or her expectations. She loved me without judgment. She just truly loved the way Jesus loved. And that will always hold something special in my heart. The second thing I thought of, of who has loved me like that has really come back to almost like two, three years ago, three years ago now, uh, when I stepped foot here at Faith Church. Uh, all of you, but especially our staff, 
Uh, we joke around, we pick on each other, and we're all flawed. But there is a true love for each other. And I can see that. There is a genuine care. They ask me how I'm doing. I'm like, I'm good. Typical, right? Ask me the second time. Ooh, now I got to answer. But that's become a thing around here. And I love that. It's the love of Jesus being shown. So then I got thinking about who then am I showing the love of Jesus to? Who am I in my life am I showing that love to? And the first one that popped in my mind, uh, which is mostly easy, usually, uh, you'll understand in a second, uh, is my daughter. Uh, if you're a parent, you get that. It's usually easy to show the love of Jesus because uh, I really truly would lay my life down for her. Like I would die for her. I love her. So it's easy to show the love of Jesus to her. There's also then the people that are closest to me that I would absolutely show the love of Jesus for without thought. It just happens because they care about me so much, I care about them in return. And that's the love of Jesus. And then I got thinking about it. Who am I not showing the love of Jesus to? Who in my life rubs me the wrong way? Who in my life in the, is the person or the people that when I'm at Meyer and I see them, I go the other way? You guys know what I'm talking about. Who are those people that I might, oh, they just start with their beliefs or their opinions or they just seem so down, so angry all the time. I don't want to be around those people. So I don't. Who in my life am I doing that with? I'm not going to share names, but there definitely are one or two. And I felt that challenge of like, oh man, who is missing out in the love of Jesus because I'm not allowing that to go through me. So as we wrap up today, I'd like you guys to actually just take a few minutes and I want you to spend some time listening, reflecting, listening to the Holy Spirit. And I want you to just pause and think and ask, go through those questions for yourself. So the first thing, if you just want to even close your eyes and just listen to the music, whatever you want to do, just create space for yourself. The first thing I want you to do is think about who in your life has shown you the love of Jesus? Who has shown you the true love of Jesus? love of Jesus too? Who in your life are you currently just loving like Jesus would love? What does that look like? And then the last one, I want you to think about who are you not showing the love of Jesus to? Specifically, who is it in your life that you know you could love better? Take a few minutes and think on that. for each of us here, myself included, 
is whoever specifically that last person or people were. How are you going to go show them that love of Jesus? What does that look like for you? Now, I also know that some of you might be sitting here and the holidays are hard. And maybe you are feeling very alone. Maybe you're feeling angry. Maybe you're feeling like nobody gets me. God doesn't love me. If that's you, if you're feeling maybe a little more like the Grinch in this situation, that's okay. My challenge for you is to take that first step. The Grinch even had to come down from his mountain before he was accepted to the community. So I would encourage you to find someone today to just talk to and to just be like, hey, I need a part of this love. I need to know the love of Jesus. I challenge you to take that first step. And ultimately, I was listening to a sermon uh, this week by a guy named Bob Goff. He's an author and he is like taken it upon himself to truly show the love of Jesus to everybody. He, that is like his life goal. But in his sermon, he actually said this phrase that I just, I really liked it. That's what I want to end with today. Is It says, the sermon happens out there, not in here. So what I really want to challenge each of us with, whether you're feeling alone and angry and frustrated, or if you're like, no, I just have more love to give and I have that person or people I need to show this love to. My challenge for you is the sermon does not happen here. It happens out there. When you walk out these doors, what are you doing? How are you showing the love of Jesus and showing that power and changing lives through his love? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for just your pursuit of us, for your love that is just so irrational, but so incredible that we can't even understand how it all works and the supernatural power behind it but we know that lives change because of your love. I ask it help each of us here that are Christ followers, that we will love like Jesus, that people will be drawn to you through us. And that as a result, we get to know you more through loving others. I just ask, especially this Christmas season, that you will help us to remember, keep at the forefront of our mind, even in the busyness and the chaos that happens, that we will remember to love like Jesus loved to love as you want us to love and that your power and your glory will shine through us through the way that we love those around us. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.